podcast. Okay, right. Emil Jaber here. I'm a wine marketer, wine writer, <clears throat> and now very amateurish podcaster from Cape Town, South Africa. My theme is wine and all things wine related. I've got a wine blog called Wine Goggle. That's www.winegoggle.co.za. And um, I do public relations in the wine industry and also write about wine for certain publications, South African wine mainly. And in these talks, we're going to talk about wine, obviously. But who knows? Ernest Hemingway said good wine is the most civilized thing on earth. So we might get around to some other cultural aspects like um, writing, books, movies, music, all that kind of stuff. Art as well. Yeah, art. We dig art. Okay, well, how did I get into wine? I think um, my major um, light bulb moment wine came around the age of eight. I was with my parents. They were living in London at the time. And they'd always been drinking wine, you know, as part of their lifestyle. Dad would get home from work, open a bottle of wine. Um, they'd pull a cork over dinner and so forth. And obviously, being a, a little youngster, <clears throat> six, seven, eight years old, I'd like sniff and try the wines, but um, didn't appeal to my palate, which is more likely focusing in the direction of Tizer and lemonade and coca-cola and so forth but i was about eight years old and we were on holiday in austria and my dad to celebrate this momentous occasion allowed me to to have my own glass of wine it was a white wine austrian white wine probably grunefeldliner um although i didn't know it at that time but i just loved that glass of wine it is my own to begin with i just turned eight and it was cool and fresh and, and fruity, but with like this zesty, bracing acidity to it, which made it very, very drinkable. And I will confess, um, it gave me a little bit of a buzz, and um, I could then start seeing why my folks loved this wine thing so much. Okay, the clock goes on until I was a teenager, quite a rebellious one at that, and um, enjoying the odd beer which I'd procured from friends of mine who were just on the cusp of legitimate drinking age, um, like beer, and um, started you know, experimenting with alcohol and such. Um, nothing irresponsible, though, I'll have you know. And back home, we had a, a stocked water cellar, and it was filled with um, a lot of oh, South African wine, labels like Rustenburg and... Um, Stalin Rake, Fleur de Cup, and so forth. I loved the, the Stien, the Chen Blanc. Um, we'd buy, my parents would buy um, Chen Blanc or Stien from Paderberg Winery, which is still around today. And um, I'd sneak off a bottle as a kid, as a teenager, enjoyed it with my mates, so some ice, and it was just all good. We were good to go. When I traveled Europe, um, just after my military service at the age of 20, that was 1983, um, I worked in um, a lot of wine farms and wine-related industries. So then I began to experience wine as a part of various nations' cultural identity and expression, um, ranging from 
sipping really entry-level cheap glasses of tawny port in the in the cafe while working at Amarim Cork in Portugal. Um, in, in France, I'd um, you know, buy a bottle of Planck, Rosé or white wine or cheap red, doing the, the romantic Parisian thing, berry on my head, total wanker, sitting next to the Seine, um, camembert, bread and a bottle of wine. Um, in Greece, I love drinking red cena, um, local stuff. Wouldn't face much of it today, but those times it, it was good. Spain, I remember those at the youth hostels. Um, we'd get around the table, myself and the other young people staying at the hostels, bottles of Rioja. So I really loved my, my experience of wine, drinking it and um, having it in different countries and enjoying it as part of a lifestyle in various nations that I happened to visit. And back in South Africa as a student, I was at Stellenbosch University, and as many other Stellenbosch students, you, you literally are weaned on a wine we call Tassenberg. Um, it was sold in the, in the bars by the bottle. Those days, all of 99 cents, one rand. Gets you a 750 milliliter bottle. And after two or three beers, just to, to clean the palate, um, a packet of cigarettes, you'd sit um, next to the fireplace in the Acker pub in downtown Stellenbosch doing the philosophy thing as students do about politics, life in general, where we're going, studying rugby, very important, and so forth. When I, um, I went to work for a newspaper in South Africa called Die Burger, and I was in the arts entertainment section, and we were sort of the custodians for the, the weekly wine column written by a very stern journalist by the name of Andrew Marais, who, who, like most wine writers, thought he knew everything about wine, had the last word, the right to opinions, and all that kind of stuff we still associate with um, very important wine writers and critics, of which I am not, I'd have you know. And Andrew or Mr. Marais' copy would come across the desk and I'd have to edit it. And it was quite cool because I'd first give it a good read-through to see how it's going, and I'd be introduced to different wines, personalities behind them, talks of vineyards and places, um, and he'd throw in a couple of opinions by the very regal wine columnist that Andrew Murray was, and it was informative and fun. And at that stage, um, I was drinking wine. I was... Um, um, going out with friends and girlfriends and going to, starting to be being a professional guy going to dinner and I'd always lug along a bunch of a bottle of wine and so forth. Left leaving journalism I ended up in public relations and I sold my soul to public relations as some would say and we one of our clients was some then Stellenbosch Farmers Winery and we'd look after one of some of their brands and I felt quite at home writing the copy interviewing the winemakers, the production people, and visiting the vineyards, and A for away. You know, I knew if I wasn't going to become a, a, a famous novelist or a um, movie screenwriter or something, writing about wine felt natural and comfortable. I'm not saying it was any good, but working in it, um, it felt right. 
And um, I left that company and set up my own agency. And now we specialize in wine marketing, wine communications, while I'm still dabbling um, aside. The biggest influences um, in my wine experience to date, I'd have to say Jan Bulan could see her from Kanonkop. Ex-Kanonkop is probably right up there. But I first met Wim Jan when I was about 10 or 11 years old. He was a friend of my father's. And um, I was on the farm at that age and just running around and the vineyards and up those, those steep slopes. He would go jogging because he was a Springbok rugby player and I'd sort of fallen behind him. Um, uh, it was just great, the, the nature. And from the vineyards, you into the cellar. It's like cool, so the smelling of wood and this sort of very, in Afrikaans say frank, but it's sort of this sour, sweet, seductive aroma of, of fermenting wine in barrel. It was like magical, it's like a cathedral. Um, but and then later, starting to talk to Jan about wine um, when, I, when I was working. And um, I got a name as somebody who is really um, fixated by the geography terroir, light, soil types, climate, aspects, and the role that plays on wine. And that one, those are the features that make wine unlike any other kind of beverage there is and uh, truly fascinating. And the many things he's told me and um, taught me still stick to this day. I'd also say Dani De Vette is right up there along with Jan. Um, and like Jan Dani, he tastes wine and, and ref- immediately will, will, will tell you or suggest a region from which the wine originates. He will say it's clay soils or gravel soils or chalky soils. The cultivar he'll probably spot. And um, he'll kind of give you a, a, a broad outline of the DNA of the wine and why it tastes the way it does taste enormously um, influential and important person um, in my my um, wine reference. Wine styles that I, I like, um, yes, having visited Burgundy and I still find it the, the most magical wine region in the world. Yes, um, Chardonnay to me is just uh, fantastic. Um, I am intrigued by Chardonnay. I'm fascinated about it. I it, it really it, it stirs things within me. Chardonnay does do that because it has so many different dimensions, um, because it expresses uh, the terrain where it is grown like no other wine, because it could be, I mean, fresh and fun, and well, all wines fun, fresh and fun and, and gluggable in the form of a unwooded Chardonnay with a plate full of green slimy still live oysters or you could be um, gathering around a bottle of Bonneau de Matre Corton Charlemagne from a good vintage and you just need a, a quarter glass full just to be the the, the, the the taste and the structure and the the memory bolts jarred by a great wine from Burgundy you know it, it just does it all I also like Sauvignon Blanc very much I think Sauvignon Blanc is um, 
most popular wine in South Africa and in many countries in the world because it's it's easy drinking a lot of it and it's easy to recognize and it makes you makes you sound like a boffin I mean you just need one sniff of a glass and you can say hey it's Sauvignon Blanc and all the people would fall on their knees thinking you are this amazing um, wine boffin which you don't have to be necessarily for Sauvignon Blanc um, but I, 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 one thing about Sauvignon Blanc that I really I'm starting to appreciate and taste low from Diemerstahl has a lot to do with this is the fact that yeah you can it's easy to make a good Sauvignon Blanc I think the right equipment grape growers everywhere but once you start pu- pushing the pushing the envelope and getting to make a challenging Sauvignon Blanc and to, to shift the boundaries with wood and natural fermentation and low-yield vineyards. You're making wines in the Sancerre style, um, more austere, more salty minerality um, compared to the sort of f- friendly, lovable, promiscuous, blown-up pyrazines, gooseberry, asparagus characters. Characters. Once you start honing in on on Sauvignon Blanc's ability to give you leanness and stoniness and a sort of maritime umami-ish edge, then you, the wine is getting very, very special. Then I, I can compare it really to a good to a good Chardonnay. Um, on the red side, I love Cabernet Sauvignon. I think South Africa makes some of the best Cabernet Sauvignons in the world, um, possibly because we've been we've been working with the grape for so long, and we've been conservative with the grape, which is good. I mean, being conservative in wine is not a bad thing. Um, and great sites, areas, country for Sauvignon is the Helderberg and Simonsburg of area of Stellenbosch, and the wines coming out there are like truly muscular, elegant, refined, yet powerful, really holding, making a statement. And I think our, our greatness in South African Cabernet is to to cross over from um, you know, the, the sunny fruit of, say, other New World areas like Australia and Napa. Um, yeah, we do taste juice in our wines. There is more juice than, um, more sunny juice than you find in Europe. But then to give it that um, leathery cigar box, lead pencil, pine needle, sort of licorice um, aspects you found from Bordeaux. Wow, I'm like getting so less for some cabinet just thinking about this. So what we're going to do in the next couple of what well, I'm going to do, if anybody's listening, you're welcome to, to join me. Um, talking about things wine. Um, I'll be doing some wine reviews, um, trying not to sound too poncy about it, because wine, as Tim Atkins said, Tim Atkin, the formidable British wine writer, wine is 350, not, whoopsie, 750 milliliters, well, 375 if you've got a half bottle, 750 milliliters of fun, and that's that is that's about it, you know. Um, I don't believe in, in getting too serious about, about wine, because then you lose your enjoyment for it. I don't think critics actually enjoy wine that much. I think um, these poncy wine critics and wine judges, of which there are far too many, sit around and um, analyze wine too deep. And once you start analyzing something too much, you kind of 
it starts getting less attractive to you. I mean, you look at Uma Thurman for too long and her toes are going to be starting to look long after a while. Or she's going to start having um, um, an edgy nose or something. So, so don't over overcomplicate and over-dissect wine, for God's sake. Um, not, nothing's perfect. No wine's going to be perfect. So stop trying to find it. Um, drink it, I say. Um, if you like it, fine. If you love it, even better. Um, but this whole kind of anal peeling away, trying to find a little bit of something that tastes like wood, which is automatically deemed to be a fault, or, or finding a prickle of alcohol and then assuming that the wine's too alcoholic and therefore unbalanced and um, too promiscuous and slutty and commercial or what God not. Uh, we're not going to believe in that. Talk about wine, talk about people, talk about wine country. Have a lot of fun doing it, hopefully. And that is what the podcast number one, rap vino or vino rap, um, Christ, I even forgot what I called this thing, but um, it's a rap for now. Um, enjoy your wine, open it, drink it, talk about it, and most of all, laugh about it. Catch you later, it's Emilia Bear signing out. I've always wanted to say that.